0: Welcome to the Popey podcast you didn't know you needed, where we talk history through Pope colored glasses and some of the craziest, most popular stories you've never heard of. It's a real joy for us to welcome you all here. I would like to invite each of you to listen. Do not be afraid. Pie Domine, eis
1: This is a popul- Popular Podcast.
0: Do not be afraid. Welcome to the Popular History Podcast. History through Pope-colored glasses. My name is Greg, and this is episode 821 21D, Sayings of the Savior, Part 4. Look. The kingdom of heaven is like a lot of things all of these odd episodes are made to let us build our pope color glasses so we can use the same lenses when we look at history together in the main show if you're lost start at the beginning this episode continues our reflection on the third luminous mystery of the rosary namely the proclamation of the kingdom which for our purposes means we're taking a look at the sayings of jesus more specifically we're covering all the parables of Jesus that we didn't cover in our last Marathon episode, which is to say, all the parables that didn't show up in the Gospel of Matthew. Which, given Jesus' parables show up only in the Gospels, and the Gospel of John has no parables, that means we're going to spend a lot of our time in the Gospels of Mark and Luke today. In a bit of a shift, we're actually going to look at Mark and Luke separately, without worrying about any of the textual parallels between the synoptics we've been spending so much time up until now, because the parables we've got to look at today are actually all unique to their respective Gospels. Any parables that were in both Mark and Luke were also in Matthew, and so wound up being covered as part of our overview of Matthew's recorded parables and their parallels from last episode. Let's go ahead and start with Mark. There are all of two parables unique to Mark at least according to the list we've been using. First, from Mark, Chapter 4, The Growing Seed.
1: Gospel of Mark
0: He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. This is the first time we've hit a parable that I don't recall having come across. I know I've read it at least twice, because twice before I've read the Bible cover to cover, including the first nine chapters of First Chronicles, and I'm pretty sure that reading the first nine chapters of Chronicles more than once checks some of the boxes on the DSM-5. Anyways, I hate to say this about the literal words of God, but I'm not really surprised that this parable made no impression on me and I don't remember it from before. For what it's worth, I'll remember it next time, as that one so dull, I didn't remember it before. Alright, so, what's the other parable from Mark?
1: Gospel of Mark
0: But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. The Greg says... Okay, remember the parable of the thief? Okay, fair. That was all the way back in last episode. Anyways, it was only listed as being in Matthew and Luke, but this passage is obviously Mark's version. Granted, it's missing the actual like a thief in the night part, so I don't think we need to retroactively make it a full-on synoptic roundup, but it's close versions of this passage if not the overall thief part do appear in all the synoptics i'll tell you what let's call it a synoptic roundup but skip the airhorn and see if anyone flags it as an editing error synoptic roundup okay on to luke i admit i went light on context for matthew's parables because i wanted to get through them in one episode but we have less to cram in on this episode Not because Luke has fewer parables than Matthew, it doesn't, it actually has more, uh, but rather because we've already gone through about a dozen of Luke's parables since they have versions in Matthew. Our first parable exclusive to Luke is set at a dinner party. When I say Jesus and the Pharisees, the relationship that comes to mind, assuming any particular relationship does come to mind, is probably not one where a Pharisee invites Jesus to dinner. and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him, and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money-lender. One owed him five hundred denarii, the other fifty. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. Loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The Greg says Now I promised context, and as you heard, the money lender and the two debtors absolutely thrive in context. Don't assume you've been missing out on a ton, though. The context for that one is more essential than it is for most, and I wouldn't have skipped it for that one last episode, either. We'll see as we go that context doesn't always add much. I should note here, for fans of the Luke-exclusive parable of the Good Samaritan, that, while it would be reasonable to find it here, I actually covered that in the first episode of the Sayings of the Savior series, at around the 20-minute mark, so you can check it out there and circle back. The next parable, the Friend at Midnight, comes immediately after Luke's version of the Our Father, which we covered in Point Twenty One b That makes sense when you consider that the Our Father is fundamentally a prayer of petition, asking God for a number of things.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine, on a journey, has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. The Greg says, Remember, folks, you're not being annoying. You're merely doing what Jesus told you to do. Up next, Jesus is inspired to give a burn in parable form by a pretty brazen heckler.
1: Gospel of Luke.
0: Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, Who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. The Greg says, Heaven is what matters. That said, I do feel for the original guy. He's more immortalized than the next million other randos walking on the earth at this time, thanks to being preserved in the Bible. And this is the bit of him that gets kept. I'm sure he would have preferred to have been known for something other than trying to get Jesus to weigh in on his side against his brother, but uh, at least it's not like we're told he kicked puppies. He's just a guy who wanted his share and ended up as a launching point for one of Christ's lessons on how the next world is more important than this one. The next parable is reminiscent of the one instance of a curse we saw in our miracles roundup, where Jesus said, screw this fig tree in particular. That was recounted in both Matthew and Mark as an actual event. Here in Luke, it shows up as a parable.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. The Greg says... For fans of context, it's exactly what you'd expect. Jesus is running around telling people to repent, and is getting a resounding meh. Luke 14 opens with Jesus evidently at another Pharisee's dinner party. We see him doing some light healing on the Sabbath, classic Jesus, then he sees an opportunity for a parable, at least what our source lists as a parable, even though I'd say the actual genre is closer to a Dear Abbey letter giving life advice. Anyways, here's the parable of the places of honor at a wedding, complete with the build-up, starting at the beginning of the chapter.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: One Sabbath When Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child, or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid, at the resurrection of the righteous. The Greg says... Note the resurrection call out there. Whether there was a resurrection at all was an active theological debate in Jesus' day, with the Pharisees saying yes, and the Sadducees saying no. Shout out episode 8.13, where I went over the Pharisees and Sadducees if you want a refresher on that. There are more efficient ways to get such a refresher, but by all means give that episode another listen if you want. It was a lot of fun putting it together. Anyways, Jesus was very firmly with the Pharisees on the resurrection question, which might help explain how he kept getting invited to dinner with them, despite his unorthodox and frankly downright abrasive teaching and behavior. The chapter continues with another parable.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant... "'Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, "'and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. "'Sir,' the servant said, "'what you ordered has been done, but there is still room.' "'Then the master told his servant, "'Go out to the roads and country lanes, "'and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. "'I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. The Greg says... This has similar vibes to the wedding guest stuff from Matthew 22, except there's less random murder involved, and if the replacement guests did get in trouble for their lack of appropriate attire, well, Jesus chose not to emphasize that here. Oh, and of course, this is a more generic feast than it being a wedding specifically, like we saw in Matthew. But that's not fooling anyone there's definitely some kind of a connection here. If we carry on where we left off, there's another parable or two right around the corner. The lesson? Plan ahead and commit to the plan.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with ten thousand men, to oppose the one coming against him with twenty thousand? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is a long way off, and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The Greg says... Ah, yes. Just as a reminder, Jesus literally wants his disciples to be salty. So I'm on the right foot here, right? Huh? huh? Anyways, that finishes out chapter 14. Luke 15 starts with the parable of the lost sheep we discussed last episode, since it also appears in Matthew, which, you may recall, comes after a Pharisee complains that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. In Luke, there's a couple of follow-up parables to the lost sheep. First, the lost coin. Gospel of Luke. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Greg says, After the one lost sheep out of ninety-nine, and then the one lost coin out of ten, we have the one lost son out of two. Now, our go-to list of parables titles this next one, The Lost Son, but if you've got some familiarity with scripture already, you probably actually know it best as the prodigal son.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. And he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, He was lost, and is found. The Greg says... This is absolutely a top five parable, right up there with the sower and the Good Samaritan. Please just don't tell anyone you heard me walk through the parables unless you get this one stuck in your mind. And yes, there is something to consider in that two of the top parables that come to mind for me are Luke exclusive. All the Gospels have distinguishing features. For Luke, it's its parables and the infancy narratives. All the Gospels have distinguishing features. The Luke-only parables are one for it, along with the Luke-only infancy bits. Anyways, the prodigal son zipped us through the remainder of chapter 15, which means that the entirety of that chapter was devoted to three parables, a fact that, especially combined with Luke 14 and Luke 16 ending and beginning with more parables, respectively, well... That should help explain why I'm just doing this stretch of Luke as a continuous narrative without the usual gaps. And we're not done with that yet. We're actually going to carry on through chapter 16, 17, and into chapter 18. Anyways, we're going to start off Luke 16 with the shrewd manager.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. "'So he called in each one of his master's debtors. "'He asked the first, "'How much do you owe my master?' Nine hundred gallons of olive oil,' he replied. "'The manager told him, "'Take your bill, sit down quickly, "'and make it four hundred and fifty.' "'Then he asked the second, "'And how much do you owe?' "'A thousand bushels of wheat,' he replied. "'He told him, "'Take your bill,' and make it eight hundred. The master commended the dishonest manager, because he had acted shrewdly, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The Greg says, some of Christ's parables have had a degree of tension with other Christian teachings and lessons. This one is alarming in its contrast. And yet Christ is not praising the dishonest steward for his dishonesty, rather he's noting that there is a cleverness to his action that Christians could learn from. The fact that Christ is not encouraging his followers to act dishonestly is made clear in this section immediately following the parable.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little, can also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one, and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one, and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Greg says. So, there. It's a good thing we were already emphasizing context, though we probably would have gotten to the bottom of that eventually. There are a few more verses between here and the next parable. The Pharisees don't come off well, though Jesus simultaneously emphasizes the law. Contrast and balance two of Jesus' favorite things.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pin to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The Greg says, And now it's time for another parable, one often cited during discussions of the afterlife. It's time for the rich man and Lazarus.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, They will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Greg says... Did you catch the foreshadowing there? It's not subtle, though if you've honestly never heard the story of Christ, well, we'll get there in time. Spoilers. The 17th chapter of Luke starts with a famous warning. The little ones mentioned is often taken literally as meaning children, but I think, in the context, another fair reading is folks new to the faith, which is why teaching things accurately matters to me.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with the millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The Apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, implanted in the sea, and it will obey you. The Greg says... That bit is much more famous in the form of the version from Matthew, where rather than a random mulberry tree, it's a mountain that is commanded to cast itself into the sea. There's actually a logic in some textual criticism that basically says the more boring example is probably the earlier, since sensational stuff tends to spread. Well, sensationally. And in any fish tale, the fish tends to get bigger in the telling, right? I mean, I guess. Probably. It's not an exact science. Anyways, those boring folks probably love this mulberry version more than the mountain version. They're probably alone in that view. Anywho, after that discretion, we've arrived at our next parable. The parable of the unworthy servants.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: Suppose one of you has a servant plowing, or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant, when he comes in from the field, Come along now, and sit down, to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me, while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank his servant, because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. The Greg says... So, the logic in this um, most poorly aging of Jesus' parables is basically that we owe God everything anyways, so we can't expect too much credit for simply doing what was asked of us. Which is a bit of a contrast to all the heavenly reward stuff, and even the Beatitudes, but hey, again... Jesus loves an apparent contradiction, doesn't he? It sure gets the discussion going. Right after the unworthy servant's parable, we've got a miracle account that basically emphasized the same sort of notion, where only one out of ten lepers cleansed even comes back around to thank Christ for his healing. Not only do we expect kudos for what we simply owe, but we're frankly ungrateful too. Jesus is clearly feeling a certain way about humanity in this section. And yet, we do have hope, apparently just as long as we keep being annoying. At least, that's the lesson I get from our next parable, The Persistent Widow.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: Then Jesus told his disciples a parable, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town, who kept coming to him with the plea, Give me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The Greg says, Immediately after, we have one more parable the Pharisee, and the tax collector. Another time to reflect on which will represents you. Hint, it's not generally the flattering one.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Greg says... It's nearly heavy-handed, but it apparently got the job done, at least well not that it's made it through two thousand odd years into our own day. Anyways, though that's our last parable, The next scene carries on emphasizing the same theme. So, while we're here, let's take a look at The Little Children and Jesus.
1: Gospel of Luke
0: People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When his disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The Greg says, As a middle-class millennial white guy with the podcast, humility isn't my strong suit. And as someone with a ravenous intellect who genuinely wants to know everything about everything, the sort of childlike trust and humility suggested here doesn't come naturally to me. About the closest I generally come to acting like a child is babbling on enthusiastically about everything I learn and find interesting with little to no regard for the opinions of my audience. That part I do well. And I figure if I do that enough and keep trying to live rightly, maybe I can just subconsciously do what my consciousness fights against and simply accept the gospel as the good news for me. Call it the Peter approach. Perhaps I can walk on water if I just don't think too much about it directly, so doubt can't work its way in. In the end, we've all got our own ways to get where we need to go. Though also in the end, there's only one destination worthy of our aims. So, after some more flowery reflection than usual, here we are, back where we started this mystery. As the next verses have someone asking Jesus what they need to do to inherit eternal life. At the beginning of our discussion, we took a look at the great commandments, but that's not exactly the answer Jesus gives the ruler who asked Jesus for advice in Luke 18, because rather than a general answer to a general question, this ruler is asking for specific advice for himself. And the answer is, just as much as the great commandment, something striking the core of the gospel message, of Jesus' message as the word of God, or the logos, as John would often call him. But I'm going to make you wait for that exchange, and for the rest, because now that we've covered the miracles and the parables, and the banner sections in terms of the Great Commandments and the sermons on the places distinguished by their relative elevation, after all that, it's time we circle back and take the Synoptic Gospels from the top to see what we missed. Now, I'm only human, and I've got five children and a full-time job. I'm going to allow the banger of a chat I had with Gary Stevens of the History of the Bible podcast serve as both the first episode of Cardinal Numbers and as the next thing you'll see in this popular history feed. After that, the next solemnity is August 15th, the Feast of the Assumption. So, tune in on June 29th for Cardinal Numbers and then after that, well, I'll see you every day for more Cardinal Numbers from here until I croak But that aside, in terms of popular history, I'll see you August 15th for Ot Point 21E, Sayings of the Savior, Part 5. Come, follow me. Thank you for listening. God bless you all.